As I said at the start of our reading, we're breaking into our normal series, uh, both morning and evening, as it is Easter time. And we're going to be considering the account in John's Gospel of the passion, that is the suffering, of Jesus Christ. And my message this morning is really the great I am statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 11. Let's read again that statement, verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you, do I believe this? Now, there are a number of I ams in the Gospel of John. I can't remember them all this morning. Here's a few. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I am the resurrection and the life. And maybe at Easter time, this is the most relevant I ams of them all. And also, in the situation in which we are in, having faced so much death in these last couple of years of covid what greater comforts uh, can we have than there is to be found in this statement this morning? Now, those of you who were in the crematorium for Joan's funeral heard Dr. Errol speak powerfully on Jesus weeping uh, in this chapter. So I just want to take the statements that Jesus makes uh, to Martha. Uh, maybe I need to just give you the context here. Uh, Jesus was close friends with two sisters and a brother, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They lived in Bethany, a village a couple of miles east, southeast of Jerusalem, and Lazarus had just died. And Jesus had left it uh, a number of days, four days before he visited. And both sisters uh, say to him, uh, Lord, if you would have been here sooner, our brother would not have died. Interesting that both said the same thing to Jesus. Uh, Martha uh, came out uh, to meet Jesus. Martha was a very practical person. Mary was a more contemplative person. So she was still at the house, uh, and Jesus saw her uh, later before going to the graveside and raising Lazarus uh, from death to life. Uh, so uh, this statement is so relevant to us because, first of all, we are in this veil of tears, aren't we? That's how the Bible describes this world or as Mr. Hyam put it in one of his hymns, the valley of gloom. I think it's Job who says, in the midst of life, we are in death. 
haven't we noticed that uh, these last couple of years? Uh, maybe I've noticed it because I've had a funeral a month, which is quite something in the history of our church. And it's quite certain that even in this congregation this morning, by the end of this year, somebody or more than one person will have left this world behind. So what's of greater relevance to us than this statement of Jesus Christ, which gives a hope in the face of death. Now, if you ever visit the place where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, you will find there uh, a ruin of Jerome's study. Now, Jerome was the monk who translated the Bible into Latin, the Vulgate translation. And just outside the study, there's a statue of Jerome, and next to the statue is a skull. That's because Jerome kept a skull on the desk of his study. Now, I haven't got uh, a skull. I haven't got a desk either in my study. But Jerome did that to remind himself of the certainty of death. So Jerome uh, would be reminded every morning as he sat by his desk that one day he would have to die. In the midst of life, we are in death. Are you ready? Are you ready for the visits of the grim reaper? as the world calls death. It's not being morbid, is it, to ask that question? I know uh, some of us uh, Welsh people are tending towards that melancholia. Now, this is not being that. If this is the one certainty, although somebody did say death and taxes as well, especially when they go up, but if death is the one thing that we can be absolutely sure of in the year ahead. I don't know what will happen in this coming year, but I know one thing, that people will die. And it might be you or it might be me. And so it's not being morbid, it's being realistic, isn't it? To prepare ourselves for that and to ask the simple question, if I was to die soon, have I got a hope? Am I ready? Do I know that I have a place in heaven? In the midst of life, we are in death. It's, it's actually quite serious. Because after death, the judgments, we must all stand before the judgment seats of Christ. And the reason why there's death in the world is sin, this horrible, horrible tendency uh, to rebel against our Maker. And we've got to face Him. We've got to face Him. And Jesus Christ, even though He speaks words of comfort here, He spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. 
in order to warn us. So can I ask you, do you know where you are going after you leave this world behind? I was sharing with the seniors in the lunch on Friday a little chorus we used to learn in Sunday school. It was Welsh, my Sunday school, and the chorus went like this. I'll translate it. Dyma fe bilan wiliasi, dyma roedd dy heilaw diw. This is the Bible of our dear Jesus. This is the gift of God's right hand. Dengis hwn y ffordd i farw. This teaches you how to die. This teaches you how to live. Did you notice the order? If you know how to die, if you know how to face the last enemy, if you know where you're going for eternity, then you can live, can't you, in this little world of time. You can face anything then that this life throws at you. If you can face the greatest of enemies, death. Don't you want to be a person who knows how to die well? That's what they said of John Wesley's followers. Some of them were uneducated and the preachers could be uh, quite loud in their preaching. They would just be uh, raising their voices and declaring Jesus Christ. And some people found them offensive. And they complained to Wesley about them. Oh, those preachers of yours... They're, they're, they're not refined. And Wesley said, but they die well. They die well. And their sermons give you a hope. A hope in death, a hope in life. This valley of tears, this valley of tears. Do you know what our problem is? We limit, don't we, Jesus Christ? We limit the power of God in Jesus Christ. Now, if you uh, were a pastor and if you had to visit people's deathbeds, if you had to take funerals, you would soon realize, and maybe some of you realize it even more than I do because you have experienced bereavements, the power of death. Who can overcome the power of death? We haven't got medical advances yet, and we never will, that will make people live forever. We haven't got it. It's my privilege, as a dying man, to say to you dying men, women, and children, that there is one who is more powerful. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I mentioned at the start, both Martha and Mary, they say the same thing to Jesus. Here are these two sisters, and they are Christians, and yet they are utterly distraught. They are disappointed, I think, with Jesus Christ, because they say to him... Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. You who have opened the eyes of the blind, you who have made uh, the paralyzed to walk again, if you would have been here, you would have healed him. But even though they both ask the same or make the same statements to Jesus, Jesus answers them differently. Did you notice that? 
Did you notice? Jesus answers Martha with the words we're considering. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's already dead. That's not beyond my capabilities. You're limiting my power, Martha. Do you think I've just got power to heal people? I've got greater power than that. I've got power over the last enemy. It doesn't matter that he's died. It doesn't matter that his body's been in the tomb for four days. It doesn't matter that the body has already decayed so that it is a stench. I am. Only one person can say that. Only one being has the power to create. And that's God himself. How can we limit Jesus Christ if he's God? That's what we need to hear. There is a greater power than the power of death. There is a greater power than the power of sin. Don't you feel the power of sin? Even as Christians, we can't overcome sin in our own strength, can we? There is a greater power than the power of the devil who seems to have our land in his clutches at this moment. The power of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, said Paul, because it is the power, the dunamos. We get the word dynamite from it. The dunamos of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He can defeat death. He's God overall victorious. He's not um, mild. I do like the hymn uh, that talks about Jesus coming down, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth. But he's not mild, is he? Mild he lays his glory by? Oh, no, no. He's God. He's God. 100% divine. But then notice, I don't want us to consider this in detail, but notice his response to Mary's statement. Exactly the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus doesn't say much to Mary. Do you know what he does? He weeps. What tears? The tears of the Son of God. I think... There's more in one tear of Jesus Christ than in all of our tears. He's not just God. He's a real human being as well. Only a human being could cry. An angel can't weep. What good would an angel be to try and deal with death? If God had sent the angel Gabriel to try and face death, that would have been no good at all, would it? God had to come himself, and God had to become one of us. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He is God overall victorious, but at the same time, he's 100% human. He's a man to empathize with you and with me. As the writer to the Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities hallelujah what a savior if he was just able 
wouldn't we be afraid of him? He'd be unapproachable, wouldn't he? Because if he's God and God is light and in him is no darkness at all, we would just shrivel up in his presence. If he was just a man, even with the most empathy in the world, what good would that be if he hadn't the power to deal with death? But he is both God and man, one person. This is how Tim Keller puts it. I like this. He is the truth. I am the resurrection. Come in tears. Jesus wept. Jesus did not come with a sword in his hand. He came with nails in his hands. He did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgments. In this valley of gloom, there shines a light. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. I know we've got some visitors here to Wales. One of our greatest poets, Dylan Thomas, he wrote about death, didn't he? Do you know what he said? Do not go gentle. I'm sure you know the words. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the lights. Do you know what Jesus is doing here in the face of death? He wept. He felt. He feeleth for our sadness. He feeleth. But not only did he weep, we're told twice that he groaned in his spirit. Did you notice that in the reading? He was troubled, verse 33. He groaned in the spirit. And then he does uh, that again, verse 38. Jesus again groaning in himself. Now, our English translations don't bring out the strength of that word groaning. He is righteously angry in his spirit at the sight of death. God didn't create death. When God created this world, it was perfect. When God created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, there was no death then. God put them in paradise. It was all good. It was death that came in as a result of the devil, as a result of the fall of our first parents. My friends, Jesus is angry at death in a righteous way because death is an imposter. Isn't there something in you that's angry? at the fact that we must one day die, in a right sense now. There is something in me that is sometimes praying to the Lord, Lord, no more funerals. No more funerals. No more grieving. Aren't you glad in this valley of tears that Jesus Christ wasn't indifferent to death, even though it seemed that he didn't care because he was late visiting Mary and Martha, that visit and that lateness was for the glory of God. If Jesus is late coming to your aid, if you're disappointed with Christ because he has taken a loved one or he is allowing a loved one to be sick, it's for the glory of God. Let me tell you, 
If Dylan Thomas could say, rage, rage against the dying of the lights, Jesus Christ is righteously angry at death. Jesus Christ didn't just stand there. That's all we can do. Even when we empathize, that's all we can do. We can't do anymore, can we? But Jesus Christ did something about it. When moved by his all-powerful love, he came to earth below. So my second point, this isn't just a valley of tears. Jesus Christ came into this valley. Jesus is victory over death. That's the note I want for our Sunday. Uh, Not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. Resurrection Day. That's how the early church celebrated the first day of the week. So Jesus came to do something. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, he was born in order to live. He lived for you and for me as our substitutes. What we fail to do, we've broken the law of God. Jesus accomplished, not for himself, but on our behalf. But this is what I want to concentrate on here. Jesus came primarily not to live, but to die, to die. How did he do it? Jesus Christ met the last enemy head on at the cross. He didn't have to die because he was the perfect human being. But he died as our substitute. Not only did he live in our place, he died in our stead. And that's the most important thing for you and I to realize this morning. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Only he could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. And praise be to his name. That's what he accomplished on the cross. On the cross, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was a sin offering. He was tasting death for you and for me. Death is a result of sin. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on the cross, Jesus Christ was bearing the punishment for all the sins that we have committed. My sins, past, present, future, all laid on him. And because he bore the debts, he took the sting out of death. Um, John Elias said, didn't he, in the hymn we sang, for in his death, our death, died with him on the tree, and a great number by his blood will go to heaven, made free. That's why a Christian's funeral, even though it's still a sad time, because there is grief, is also a time of hope, and dare I say rejoicing, because the person has been promoted, promoted. I remember taking a funeral many years ago. It was a lady who was a Pentecostal. And they're quite something, aren't they? Really encouraging. Uh, And at the graveside, uh, people were coming up to the grave. And not only were they laying their flowers, they were saying to the body, see you in the morning. See you in the morning. For a person 
who believes in Jesus, if Jesus has died for our sin, even though we still have to die, it's falling asleep. And when we fall asleep, we eventually wake up in the morning, in the morning. This is the hope. The great I am, I am the resurrection and the life. As a result of my death on the cross, death can't hold me. Death can't hold me. The tomb couldn't hold him. Who moved the stone? The stone had to come out because the power of death had been overturned by Jesus Christ. Now, Somebody asked me this morning, why are people asking you, Pastor, if you've settled in? Haven't you been in the church for over 18 years now? Why are people asking you if you've settled in? Well, they're asking if I've settled into my new flats, (laughs) which I've only been in for a few months. And as I was looking over my notes this morning, I was looking out onto the Somerset Hills. So I'm definitely settled. And they looked stunning in the sunlight. And I could see flat home and steep home in the Bristol Channel. The Bristol Channel, so wide, isn't it? So wide. There was talk of a barrage being built from Penarth Head um, across uh, Flat home, steep home, over to Western Supermare, bridging that wide channel. Now, in the Bible, death is sometimes compared to a river, the River Jordan. And it's much smaller, the River Jordan, uh, than the Bristol Channel. But when we think of death as a river or a channel, it's so wide, it's so deep. What can bridge it? Nothing can. Nothing in our own power can bridge it. You can't jump across it. You can't swim across. The only thing that has been able to bridge the channel of death is the great I am. I am. In one of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, uh, who is a type of Jesus Christ, he likens himself to the bridge, doesn't he? I am the bridge, he says. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He bridged that channel. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. One of my heroes, Spurgeon, he said this. The I am fills the gnawing mouth of the grave. Christ by his death defeated death by taking our sins upon himself death is swallowed up by the great i am hasn't death swallowed so many people in these last few years and it will swallow even more but on the cross jesus swallowed death (laughs) he swallowed death and he bridges that jordan so that we believing in him can cross over crossover have, have you ever cycled over the old seven bridge have you ever cycled over the old, old seven bridge 
if it's, if it's really windy, they shut the bridge. Even if it's a breezy day, if you're cycling over the bridge, you can feel it moving. It's a suspension bridge. And you just wonder, how, how strong is this bridge? What about Jesus Christ, the bridge over the chasm of death? Will he bear the weights? Will he bear my sin? What about all the people that are trusting in him? Will he take the weight? Well, of course, his power knows no limits. If it's the I am, if it's the infinite son of God, he can take all the sins of God's people and more. I think that's what it means that he's the propitiation, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, if needs be. An infinite number by his blood can go to heaven made free. Oh, is there a note of victory in your heart this morning? I know we are not witnessing revival, and I long for that. I long for that. But Jesus Christ has still been victorious over death. Do you know where you are going? Are you on the bridge? Uh, this is what I want to finish with. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In this veil of tears, that's our hope. Not a touch wood hope, but a sure and a certain hope. Jesus Christ. And then, thirdly, do you believe this? This is what Jesus is pressing for. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In the original, it's singular. In the authorized version, dost thou, that's singular, do you believe in it? Have you got a personal Jesus? There's no point just knowing about these things. You must commit yourself to him. You must commit your salvation to him. You must go on that bridge. That's what he's saying. You may know a great deal about the bridge, but there's no points in head knowledge. You must actually walk on the bridge. And you can do that and not know a great deal. It's interesting here, isn't it? He talks about he who believes in me. Though he may die, most of us probably will die unless Jesus comes back before then. And this is the hope. Even if we die, death will be an entrance, like crossing the bridge to our heavenly home. It's like, it's like the seven bridge crossing over into Wales, isn't it? Uh, some of us think of Wales as a type of heaven. Coming home, coming home. Those that have believed in Jesus from amongst us and have passed on, they've gone home. The evangelist D.L. Moody, 19th century North American evangelist, he said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. 
I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement. That's what our body is, a house of clay, into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. What a hope! Isn't that something to rejoice in? Isn't that something to get excited about? Isn't that something worth getting up in the morning? Isn't that something for those of us who are preachers to get us running into our pulpits to declare that Jesus Christ has dealt with death? No power on earth has been able to face the power of death, but Jesus Christ has been victorious. And if we are in Jesus Christ, which means that we are trusting in him completely, accepting him as Lord and Saviour, then we are more than conquerors through him. That one day we shall be more alive than we are now. As I'm getting older, I don't feel more alive. The body, it, it drags, doesn't it? The body. Your spirits can be more alive. I believe as Christians, our spirits get younger. But the body, oh, it's a dead weight, isn't it? But one day we shall leave these bodies behind. We shall leave our arthritic bodies. We shall leave our sorrows of the mind. We shall leave whatever other things you're afflicted with in the body. And we shall soar to our heavenly home. And one day we will have a new body, a perfect body. And we will dwell in a perfect place. And there will be no more funerals. It'll just be one wedding the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a morning. The resurrection morning. Oh, are you in Christ? D.L. Moody went on to say, I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 1856. <laughs> you must be born again. Believe in Jesus Christ. I was born of the flesh in 1970. I was born of the Spirit in 1990. You may not be able to put your finger on the exact day you were saved. But you can say, if you have come to Jesus Christ, I once was dead spiritually, but now I'm alive. I'm not alive as I want to be, but I've got a spiritual pulse. Thank God for that. Do you believe this? That's the question. I may be a bit like those Wesleyan preachers. I may not be the most refined of preachers, but does it matter in the end? We're all going to be food for worms one day. And here is a message that can give us hope. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? We don't know how long we've got. As Baxter put it, preachers near to preach again as a dying man to dying men. And then Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Isn't that amazing? We don't wait till we get to heaven to start eternal life. Eternal life begins the moment we believe in Jesus. So if you're believing in Jesus Christ this morning, you've got the life of God in you. Eternal life. Let, let me, as I come to a conclusion, quote, can you say this? This is the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, what is thy only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, 
but belong unto my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall. I know some have got more hair than hers, but not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subversient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. For me to live, Christ, to die do you believe? Do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life. Praise God for a gospel of victory. Even in the valley of gloom, there's a light, this gospel. May all of us be together traveling on that bridge that is Jesus Christ. It's toll free. No, no well, it costs Jesus a great deal, but no payment for us. Come to Jesus Christ while it is still the day of grace. For his namesake.